as we begin a new year, 2024, I think that it's one of the most comforting things and one of the most helpful things to think about God's faithfulness. And that's, that's been the theme throughout this entire series, looking through the book of Judges, is that we just see the faithfulness of God on constant display through every situation, through every failure of the Israelites, God remains faithful. And we've talked about how it's really easy and it's tempting to read through the book of Judges and to just think about how stupid the Israelites are. But the truth is, we can see ourselves in the Israelites. I think you've caught on to that, right? Is that we can act just like the Israelites act at times. And so we think about God's faithfulness, how he continues to be faithful to us every day. Every new day, God just continues to be faithful. Every new year, God continues to be faithful, and it's because God is faithful. It's who he is, and he will always be this way. And so we're reading through Judges. We're we're almost to the end, hard to believe, but we're almost there. And if you've taken anything away from the book of Judges, if you've taken anything away, then I hope it's that you know that God will always remain faithful to his people. Always. We don't have to worry about that. You understand? If you've put your trust in Christ, you don't have to worry about God ever taking back his faithfulness from you. You don't have to worry that God one day is going to decide to stop being faithful towards you. And this is really great news because we know that we're not always faithful towards him. That we constantly mess up. That we constantly behave in ways that are not faithful. We behave in sinful ways. We make, we make sinful decisions. We do things that God hates. And it's comforting to know that God will continue to be faithful towards us. So we're going to look at three chapters tonight. Judges 14, 15, and 16. It's all about the life of Samson. And, and I know that if you've grown up in the church... You've heard the story, and maybe you remember what you heard when you were a kid in, in the, you know, whatever Sunday school class or whatever you called it when you were that age. You hear about Samson. He's a strong guy. He's got long hair, and there's this girl named Delilah, and Samson uh, was this hero, right? He's this big, buff hero. Is that how anyone else remembers him from being in kids' church? This big, buff hero type, right? Well, Samson, he did good things. He did a lot of bad things. Samson made some pretty serious mistakes. We know Samson was supposed to be this Nazarite, this this man that was set apart, was uniquely consecrated to God from birth. And whenever you think about it, you think that there's this, this baby, and God says, the baby's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be uniquely consecrated and set apart to me. You would expect for really great things to come from this baby. But as we read the story of Samson, you see that there's just failure after failure after failure. And he makes bad decision, and, and he lets his passions and his, and his lust make decisions for him. He makes mistakes, but what we're going to see is that 
through the mistakes of Samson. And, and even though Israel has essentially given up at this point, God remains faithful. That God has said that He's going to free His people, that He's going to rescue His people. That in chapter 13... When Samson was, before he was even born, God said, He will begin to save you from the Philistines. And so as we're talking about the story of Samson, as we're we're talking through his life, I want you to remember that, that, that God will always remain faithful. And that God has perfect purposes, and He has perfect plans, and His perfect purposes, they will always come to pass. Even when he's working with people that are unfaithful and sinful. And that should just make us stop for a second and think, okay, we are the unfaithful people. We are the sinful people. Yet God will always remain faithful to us. And that alone should just make us think, God, you're so good, you're so kind, you're so faithful. And so as we make it through these three chapters, that's what I want you guys to be thinking about. That's what I want you guys to be thinking about tonight, is that this is the faithfulness of our God that we see on display through the story of Samson. So, chapter 14. Uh, Again, guys, we're not going to read verse by verse through it all. (laughs) Not going to put you through that, but you should read it another time. Chapter 14 opens up. Samson is, uh, is a grown-up now. He's a grown man. He's not a little baby like he was in chapter 13. And like we said, if you remember, Samson was set apart. He was, well, he was promised to his parents by the angel of the Lord. They couldn't have children. They were barren. And then God says, you're going to have a son, and, and he's going to be a Nazarite. And what that means is that the Nazarite had to avoid alcohol. The Nazarite couldn't cut his hair, and he couldn't come into contact with corpses. Those three things were what defined a Nazarite, uniquely set apart to God. And so Samson is grown now. He's an adult, and he wants to get married. He sees this woman, and he says, I want to marry her. And his parents try to talk him out of it, but he doesn't listen. Because the woman that he wants to marry is a Philistine. And as you know, the Philistines were the ones that were oppressing Israel. The Philistines were the one that were oppressing them. They were the enemy, yet Samson says... I love that girl, I love that Philistine, and I want to marry her. And his parents say, are you sure? Like, is there not another woman in in all of Israel? And he says, no, I want her. And look at what he says. This is one of the key verses here as we open up the narrative about Samson. Verse 3 of chapter 14, he says, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. You can imagine your parents saying, are you sure? That's, that's a bad idea. And he, Samson just doubles down and he says, get her for me. She's the one I want. She is right in my own eyes. And now that phrase, it should be very familiar to you at this point because we've read this about a million times through the book of Judges. So not only is this describing the state of Israel, but Samson in this incident, he confesses. He says, she's right in my eyes. I want her. I don't care what you say parents. I I don't care that she belongs to the people that are oppressing us. I I don't care because right now she's right in my own eyes and that's what I want. So verse 3, that's a key verse. That's that's what we see Samson being concerned about. He's concerned about what he wants. 
about what looks right, what looks good in his own eyes, and, and what should he be concerned about. As a, as a Nazarite, as this person who is set apart uniquely to God, of course, he should be concerned about obeying God and serving God and pleasing God, just like any Christian should. But this guy, of all people, especially should, because he's a Nazarite. So verse 3, Samson said to his father, get her for me, if she's right in my eyes. Verse 4, this is also really important. Verse 4 says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. They didn't see it. They didn't know. And we can't blame them for not knowing. How could they know? Because all they were seeing was their son making a bad decision. But we have in, God, in God's word, this was from the Lord. Now again, I want you guys to to focus on the main character of the story is God. Of this story, of, of the book of Judges, of the Bible, it's God. And again, we're going to be looking tonight at God's activity. What is God up to? What is God doing? And we're going to learn from this. But it's really easy to take this story of all stories in the book of Judges and to think Samson's the main character, right? That's, that's kind of what we were taught when we were kids. We, we can do like a, a character study and, and look at the traits of Samson and say, we should do this and we shouldn't do this. We need to be careful about this and watch out for that. But look, that's not what I'm interested in doing tonight, okay? What I want to do is I want us for us to look at God and what he's doing and how he continues to be faithful even when his people are not faithful towards him. So, God is doing something. God is up to something here. We have to understand that. So from this point forward, when you're reading, you need to understand God is involved. God's doing something, and it says he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Samson was being used by God in this situation to fulfill his promises to Israel. You understand that? Even in this, even in this mess, what God is doing is he's working for the good of Israel. For the good of his people. So look, this, this doesn't mean, first of all, that, <clears throat> that Samson is absolved of his sinfulness. Okay, we can't, we can't look at that and say, okay, well then, you, like, you can't blame him, like, then he's fine. No, that's still, it's still a bad decision. Like, you and I are still responsible for the sinful decisions that we make. So Samson's making a bad decision here. And then... It doesn't mean that Samson's parents should have been okay with this marriage. Because again, all they were seeing was, you want to marry a Philistine? Do you not understand that we're, we're being oppressed by those people? How could you want that? But here's what it does mean. This does mean that God is faithfully working out his perfect plan for his people. Well, what's the plan? Right? What What's he doing? What is he remaining faithful to? He's remaining faithful to his word. That last part of verse 4 says, At that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. And like we already said back in chapter 13, we see that God has chosen this deliverer to free his people from the Philistines, to free 
his people from the oppressors. So God's people were being oppressed by the Philistines. He's using Samson as his chosen deliverer, right? That's what judge means. We'll remind you, judge, another way to understand this is, is deliverer or, or savior, lowercase s, savior. So God has chosen him to save his people, and he's seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So I want you to see that Israel has fallen so far away. The longer we read, the worse it's going to get, and it's really bad, and it's going to keep getting worse. They're no longer distinct from other nations. They look just like all the rest of these pagan nations around them. They've disobeyed God's law day after day, year after year. Yet God is still orchestrating his plan to free them from their oppression. Here's point number one. I want you to appreciate that God's goodness does not depend on your faithfulness. I want us to just think about that for a second. God's goodness does not depend on your faithfulness. God is good, and God is faithful, like I said earlier, because that is who he is. And he will always be that way. And you can see this already here in the beginning of the story of Samson. That if, if God's goodness did depend on our faithfulness, then God wouldn't have been working to free Israel from the oppression, would he? He would have just said, you're not listening to me. So, I'm done. We're done. He continues to be good. He continues to be faithful. So, after, after the author of Judges lets us in on this, this secret, Okay, we, we know, we know this, this secret here, that God is up to something that these people did not know. He continues on with the rest of the story. And by the way, throughout this narrative, throughout the story of Samson, secrets are going to play an important role. There's lots of secrets here, especially here in this first part. But Samson and his parents, they, they are heading to Timnah to go and get the woman that he wanted. His parents give in. They say, okay, well, let's go get her. They're going to go. And out of nowhere, this lion jumps out. You guys know the part of this story, I'm sure. A lion jumps out out of nowhere and is roaring at Samson. And apparently Samson's not with his parents at this point because his parents never find out about this. But the Bible says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So the, the, the scene with the lion, it's, it's meaningful. It's not just here to be a cool scene like for the, the movie they made, which, by the way, is ridiculous. If you guys have seen the Samson movie, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. But point is, this is meaningful. It shows us, again, that God is accomplishing his purposes. This is God strengthening Samson, showing Samson that he is with him. That he's going to use him. That he's working in him and he's working through him. So the strength is a sign of God's presence with Samson. And so, obviously, this is only possible because of God's strength rushing upon Samson. A normal person, a normal guy, I don't care how strong you are or how buff you are, you can't just rip a lion in half. Right? That's not 
There's no amount of weightlifting that can get you there. That, that, That can't happen. This is clearly a sign of God. God is here. God is involved. And God is using Samson. And so we have this scene of the Spirit of God rushing upon Samson, showing that he's with Samson and he's going to do something through him. And so readers of the Bible, at this point, we should be expecting more like this to come. This is like setting us up for the rest of the story. It's like, it's like the introduction of this little bit, this little story in the Bible. And I want you to notice there's another secret. Already there's another secret, and the next secret that we see is, is Samson didn't tell his parents about the lion. Samson came into contact with an animal. He ripped it in half. It was dead. So that's a corpse. So what happened is, is he's, he's breaking part of his Nazarite vow, and he continues to do this. But there's also, there's also this in Leviticus 11, 27 and 28. It says, And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean till the evening. They are unclean to you. So the point is, he's unclean now. And he keeps the secret from his parents. He doesn't want to tell them about this. And so the Bible says that Samson, he's, he's talking to this woman again that he wants to marry. And, and it says again, she was right in Samson's eyes. So look, we have God's spirit rushing upon Samson, saving his life, the promise of his presence to Samson. And then like a verse or two later, it's just doubling down on Samson's unfaithfulness. It just tells us again, she was right in Samson's eyes. So you need to see here, first of all, at the beginning of this, that there's this continuous comparison between Samson's actions and God's actions. Samson doing things that are right in his own eyes, God continuing to do things for the good of his people. Samson did what he wanted, and God just keeps on providing. And the Bible says, after some days he returned to take her. So this is custom in in the the wedding ceremonies. Uh, It just says after some days, but we know that it would have been several months. Several months have passed at this point, and he's returning now to actually marry this woman. And he's, he's on the way down. And, uh, you know, enough time has gone for things to get in order for the the wedding and the feast that's going to happen. And long enough, there's been enough time to pass by to where the the ripped lion carcass has somehow gotten bees inside of it. And they've made a hive and there's a bunch of honey in this lion carcass. And so Samson decides as he's passing by, he's like, oh, there's the lion I killed. There's some honey there. He decides to take his hand and scoop a bunch of honey out and just eat it, like casually walking down to wherever he's going to go. That's gross, first of all. Like, that's so weird. But he did it, all right? Again, coming into contact with a corpse, an animal that was already uh, unclean, according to God's word. It's unclean. It's dead. He can't touch dead things. Not only does he touch it, but he eats honey from it. So we're still seeing he has no regard for what God has said to do. He's, he's completely disregarding this Nazarite vow. 
completely disregarding it, eating honey out of this dead lion. And and to make matters worse, he takes the honey from his hand and he shows it to his parents. Like, look at this honey. It's so great. And they ate it. This gross. Like, you don't know where it came from. But also, what he did in doing that was he made them unclean. Now, they didn't know. They, They had no idea where it came from because it's another secret that he kept from his parents. But now they are unclean. Because they've eaten honey from a dead animal. So, Samson is uh, preparing a feast for uh, his soon-to-be wife. And this is happening in Timnah, where this woman is from, the land of the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines, they see him, they see Samson. And the Bible says that they provide 30 companions for him. And this is a little bit confusing. Uh, Most likely what this is, is that it's part of like the wedding festivities to have like almost like a bridal party. But then it also provides safety for Samson. So these guys were, were almost like bodyguards for Samson. And it's really funny to think about, like the dude didn't need a bodyguard. He just ripped the lion in half, but that's custom. So these people are supposed to be protecting him. And I guess he didn't really have many friends because the Bible actually says that one of these 30 was appointed to be his best man. So he's got these 30 companions that the Philistines have chosen for him, and they're having a lot of fun at the wedding party. He's got a best man that he just met, I guess. And he's, he's you know, sitting back, just kicked back with his new friends, and he decides, let's play a game. Let's play a game, guys. I've got a riddle for you. And he says, let's make it interesting. If you get the riddle right, I owe each of you a, a, a nice new set of clothing. And this is like, Essentially, the, the clothing that he's referring to would be like what we consider our Sunday best, you know, like, like the best suit and tie a guy has, like the best dress that a, a lady has, you know. And he says, but if you don't get it right, then each of you, you owe me a set of clothes like that. And usually, unless you were just really wealthy, you only had like one outfit like this. So he's like, I'm going to get a bunch of new clothes. And they're like, okay, well, there's 30 of us. There's 30 people here. We, we can beat you. We can get this. And so they agree to do this riddle, and he tells them this riddle. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Of course, we hear that, and we go, the lion and the honey, duh. That's because we know what happened. We're reading this now in hindsight. No one else knew about this. No one else knew about this. And so Samson, he knows what he's doing. He knows that this is literally impossible to figure out. They weren't there. They didn't see it. How in the world are they going to guess, oh, the lion, uh, you got honey from, from that. Like, that's what it is. They would never gather that. And so these 30 guys, over the course of this feast, it's like a seven-day feast. They're driving themselves crazy because they can't get it right. It stumps them. And so naturally, they just turn to violence. And they go to Samson's fiance. And they say, if you don't figure out and tell us the answer, we're going to burn you and we're going to burn your dad. Like, we're going we're to kill you. And so she goes to Samson and she pulls the classic, you don't love me thing. And Samson gives in and tells the, the answer. And she goes to the Philistines and they, they wait until the very last moment. The end of the seventh day is coming. And they approach him like the suspense is killing him. And they give him the answer. And here is what Samson says. 
If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Gentlemen, I just want you to know this probably sounded just as bad then as it would if you said this about your fiancé today. This was not good of Samson to say. This, this was just kind of out of pocket. This wasn't, this wasn't good. Okay. In other words, he uses this phrase to say, you cheated. That's all he had to say was, you cheated, but he called his fiancé a heifer, which is a cow, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, a baby cow. Anyways, now something really unexpected happens. And, and if you've been paying attention and you've been following along in Judges, then, then you shouldn't be surprised when something unexpected happens. Because it's like every page, it's like, wow, I, I, there's so many plot twists, I couldn't see it coming. And another one happens now. Here's what happens, okay? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he struck down 30 men. God's Spirit rushed upon him. The Holy Spirit filled Samson. He goes to this other city. He kills 30 men. He takes their clothes, brings them to these 30 companions, and he says, here, here's, here's what you won. So Samson, he did keep his word, right? He did, he did say, I'll get you clothes, and here's your clothes. This is what, this is what you get. But obviously, I don't think that they expected it to be clothes from fellow Philistines that he had just killed. Um, so he's angry about the situation. He goes back to his father's house. And while he's, Samson is back at his father's house, uh, his father-in-law, or almost father-in-law, gives his almost wife to his best man. And they get married. So... Crazy stuff happens here. And yeah, like we did read that correctly. Like that was, that was correct. This is what happened. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and empowered him to go and kill 30 Philistines. I want you to remember at this point what God said to Samson's parents. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That's what's happening right now. We've got all of this personal junk that's going on. God is still working out his purposes. And he's keeping his promise to his people. And I know that we've read a lot of, like, a hard, a lot of hard stuff in Judges. We've talked about the danger of trying to clean things up and make it sound better. We, we don't need to do that, okay? The Bible says that God's Spirit filled him, and he did. this was God's will to go and do this. Now again, we can start to feel really bad for the Philistines, and they were innocent. They're not innocent people. They're pagans, okay? They are bad people, worshiping false gods, Baal and Dagon, and, and committing human sacrifices and things like that. They, they are not innocent people. And so God is working out his purposes here, and he's freeing Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. 
So whenever it said back in chapter 14, verse 4, his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, here's part of the opportunity that God was talking about. He's working out all of this. He's, he's orchestrating all of this, and then here's the opportunity, and he takes it. He uses Samson to start freeing his people from Philistine oppression. God is remaining faithful to his word. God continues to pour out his goodness on Israel, even specifically on Samson, even though they're behaving unfaithfully. Samson's actively making bad decisions, right? Forsaking his Nazarite vow, uh, doing things to make his parents become unclean according to the law, saying really hateful things about the woman he wants to marry. He's completely driven by lust here. And God is still good to him. God is still good to Israel. And he still remains faithful to his word. And God continues to be good. He continues to be faithful. Even when you and I are not acting faithfully towards him. So this is not, let me just tell you this really, really quick. This is not meant to make you and I feel like we can just keep living unfaithfully. And we can just keep sinning, and we can keep going, and we can keep on living in sin because, oh, God, it doesn't matter. God's always going to just be faithful, and He's always going to be good, and He's going to bless me because He's just so good. That's not, that's not the point here. And that should be clear. I hope that's clear. This is not just some free ticket to live in sin because God is good. Amen. I mean, we're going to see soon enough in Samson's life that that's certainly not the point. But what I do want you to think about is, is just for a moment, I want you to think and I want you to appreciate God's goodness towards you. God's faithfulness towards you. Think about the ways that you've acted unfaithfully. The sinful habits that maybe you're in the middle of right now. And, and think and see that God is still lavishing his goodness towards you in so many ways. In so many ways. And maybe you haven't even taken a moment lately to think about this, to think God continues to be good to me. He continues to be kind to me. He continues to be faithful to me, even though I know that I could be living more faithfully and more pleasing to him. His goodness and his faithfulness, it doesn't depend on your works. His character is good. His character is faithful. He is this way. And I want you to recognize that. And I want to remind you of some verses that I've brought up several times through reading Judges, but it's that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's what it's meant for. It's not meant for you to think, I can just keep living in my sin. It's meant so you can come to the realization of, I need to repent of my sin. God hates what I'm doing, yet he still continues to be good to me and faithful to me. And so, God, because you're so good to me, I see that, and I want to repent of my sin. I, want to, I really want to repent. I'm going to repent turn back. I'm going to live faithfully towards you. 
chapter 15 picks up, and a while has passed. We have um, the, the phrase, after some days. We don't know how long it's been. But we have Samson, who all of a sudden just decides that he wants to go visit his wife. We're like, wait a minute, he doesn't have a wife. He thinks that he does. He doesn't know about what happened. And it says he wants to go into her chamber and, and, and be with her and, and go into my wife in the chamber. So he's seeking to kind of consummate this marriage to make it official. And don't worry, to make things better, he did bring a young goat. So good job. And uh, the woman's father will not let him in. He's like, you can't, you're not going to go in. He says, I really thought that you utterly hated her. I thought you hated her. And we can kind of get why, right? Like, he just walked out, left after the whole riddle thing. And he says, I, I gave her to your best man. And now the father, he understands, like, okay, that, that really wasn't the right thing to do. He shouldn't have done that. But not only that, he's, like, he's probably scared, it's like, this Samson guy is kind of ruthless. I've heard things about him. I don't, I don't really want him to kill me. So he says, I have another daughter, the younger sister. And it's, it's actually, this is better because she's more beautiful. So you can just marry her. And Samson's like, I don't, I don't want to marry her. And Samson says, this time, I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So in other words, Samson is saying, I have really good reason to be mad right now. I have good reason to be angry. This wasn't right. This wasn't good. And so Samson uses you know, the classic military tactic, the one that many of you, I'm sure, would resort to in a moment like this. He caught 300 foxes. He took two at a time, tied their tails together, stuck a torch between the tails, lit them on fire, and sent them to go through the wheat fields. Right? That's what we would all choose to do. I don't know. Samson did that, right? That's, that's nuts. Also, let's just think about, that's not normal. A normal person, like a, with normal strength, won't be able to do this. So we're, we're still seeing that God is supernaturally strengthening Samson to do these things to the Philistines, these people that are oppressing Israel. So they get angry, of course, because not only did he burn the standing grain, but he burned the stacked grain and also the olive orchards. These foxes, which some translations say jackal, um, so either foxes or jackals, whatever, but the point is they burned a lot of their stuff. And so they took Samson's wife or fiance or whatever you want to call it at this point, and they did end up burning her. They killed her and her father. Because this was, it goes back to the, the father gave her to this best man, and Samson got mad, and all this stuff happened. And so Samson, after he sees what happened here with killing this woman and her father, Samson says to the Philistines, if this is what you do, if this is the stuff that you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. Every time Samson goes to take action, he thinks it's going to be his last time. And this is 
ironic because he does this and he thinks this until it actually is his last time because it ends that way. But we'll get there when it ends. So he sa- the Bible says that Samson strikes them hip and thigh with a great blow. And there's a lot of phrases like this in the story, like, like the young goat thing. We're not really sure. We don't really know what that means. Okay? And then whenever it says that he tore the lion, and it says, as one does to a young goat, we don't really know what that means. <laughs> okay? um, and then the whole strike them hip and thigh with a great blow. We're not really sure what that means, but what we think it means is that it's just complete victory. That he subdued them. He beat them badly. And we don't have any details about this. We have lots of details about lots of other things that Samson did, but we don't really know what this means other than he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. That's it. And then it says that Samson ran away to the cleft of the rock of um, Etam. And the Philistines, they go to Israel, the Israelites, at Lehi. They raid them. And Israel says, why did you do that? Why are you raiding us? What did we do? And the Philistines say, because of Samson. We did this because of Samson. And so the Israelites, at this point, they approach Samson. And they're angry at him. And they're like, why are you doing this? What's the problem? But think about it. Why in the world are they angry at Samson? Why is Israel mad at Samson when Samson is the only one fighting back against the people who have oppressed them? So they say to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you know that they rule over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And I want you to see how sad that is. That this is how Israel has answered to this. We're going to see how, how tragic this, this is really. If, like you, you might read that and think, okay, whatever. But this is extremely sad. Because Israel, at this point, they have just completely given up. And they are totally content with being ruled and oppressed by the Philistines. They don't want to fight back. They get angry at the one person who's actually fighting back against the people that are oppressing them. So the army of Israel has actually just declared Samson the enemy. When Samson is the only one who's actually fighting back against the real enemy. Israel is supposed to be free. They should be free. They should be living this way that God had said if they had just been obedient from the start. But their sin and their complacency has led to this point. And and they are cowardly, just submitting to the enemy. And they're taking the one that God chose to save them. They are taking the one man that God chose to be their savior and they're going to turn him over to the enemy. I just want to stop and and just kind of make a quick note. Maybe some of you can relate to the Israelites here. It's a really sad thing whenever you give up fight against the real enemy, the, the true enemy. And so what I mean is, the, the real enemy, of course, is sin, is Satan, is the sin in your, it's sin is the enemy. And maybe you've come to a point in your life 
where you've just given up fighting. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're, you're stuck in a pattern of sin. You've been trying to stop for a long time and you feel like you can't, you feel like you're going to be there forever, so you just give up and you stop. And you're just content where you're at. Or maybe you're just content where you're at and you're not seeking to grow anymore. You're not seeking to be more like Jesus anymore. You've just stopped. And you've lost focus on the real enemy of sin. God's word says that Christians are free from sin. And the book of Romans talks about, then how can you still walk in it if you're freed? Right? We need to see, like, you've got to keep fighting. Understand? Like whatever pattern of sin you found yourself in, if you've given up, you've essentially said, the sin is stronger than God. I can't do it. This, just, this must be it for me. I'm going to stop. And it is really sad when someone comes to that point. You need to fight back. You need to understand that you're not just fighting back against sin with your own willpower because you're strong. But you're fighting against sin and temptation because you have the Holy Spirit in you. That God has sent a Savior who has overcome sin so you can live in holiness. So, the Israelites, they tell Samson, we've come to bind you. We've come to bind you, we're going to hand you over. And Samson, he, he makes them swear that they will not attack him. He says, swear to me that you will not attack me. And even here, while the Israelites are taking Samson in, binding him up, and handing him over to the enemy, Samson realizes these people are not the true enemy. And he says, promise me you will not attack me. Promise me you will not try to take my life. Because Samson is saying, I don't, I don't want to kill you guys. I don't want to have to do that. So you need to promise me that you won't do that. Because he knows the Philistines are the real enemy. Philistines, that's the true enemy. They're the oppressors. So he doesn't lift a finger against his own people. He lets them bind him up and take him to the Philistines. And I want you to see the cowardice of Israel here. In their complacency, in they've just given up against their, uh, with their fight against sin. They tell Samson, oh no, 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 we promise we're not going to kill you. We promise, yeah, you have our word, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to bind you up and hand you over to the Philistines so that they can kill you. The one guy that's fighting back against the, the Philistines, they're going to hand him over and they know that what the Philistines want is to kill him. They've fallen so far. And so the Philistines, they show up to kill Samson, and look at what happens. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Again. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand, and he took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. So the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon Samson. In this instance, when a thousand 
men. A thousand Philistines are are approaching and they're going to kill him. God rushes upon Samson and he saves him from this. And in doing so, a thousand Philistines are killed and he is keeping his promise. He is using Samson to free Israel from the Philistine oppression. You see that? He's still doing it. Even when Israel has handed the judge over, handed him over, and and said, we want you to die because we're just going to stay where we are. God rushes upon Samson, fills him with his strength, and Samson actually kills. He fights back against a thousand men, and he wins. That's God's activity, guys. That's not normal. That's God. Continuing to save his people, to free his people from oppression. So I want you now to imagine how tired Samson was at this point. How exhausted he was. Like if you've ever even just like playfully fought against someone, like sparred or something, you know that's tiring. Now imagine, like, imagine being in Samson's shoes. You just fought off a thousand people and they were trying to kill you. I don't, we don't know how long it took. Hours? Probably hours upon hours of just constant fighting. And he's thirsty, of course. One versus 1,000, the one wins, and he's really thirsty. And it's at this point that Samson says, I'm going to die. Not whenever it's 1,000 to 1, but it's because he's thirsty, he's famished, and he's like, now now I'm going to die. And he prays to God, and in his prayer, he recognizes that the victory was from God. I want you to see that. that. That's something that good that Samson did here. Is he recognizes that this was only because of the, the power of God, but he's still just concerned about the water. And so God miraculously causes water to spring from the rocks. And so Samson drinks this fresh water, and he is revived. He, he feels better now that he's had this water. Obviously, there's lots of crazy stuff in here, but I want you to notice how God sustains Samson in each of these situations in order for Samson to accomplish his purposes. In chapter 15, Samson, he, he's actually doing what he should do. He's doing good, right? He's fighting the Philistines, not his own people. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's dependent on the Spirit of God. And God sees to it in every situation, to help him, to sustain him. So here's point number two. Find comfort in God's sustaining hand. Find comfort in God's sustaining hand. I want you, tonight, to be comforted by the truth that God is your sustainer. Sustain means to strengthen or to support. So God is your strength. God is your support. And if you've put your trust in Christ, God has promised to sustain you, to strengthen you, to support you through all your days. Psalm 55.22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never Permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and heart may fail, 
But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is good news. And this should bring great comfort to all Christians. Now you think about it. Why? Why should this bring me comfort? Why is this comforting? Because following God is not easy. It's not. It's not easy all the time. Life is not easy. Right? That's a mistake that people make. They think that if they put their trust in Christ, then Jesus is going to make their life all better and no more problems. And the Bible says the opposite. That it's hard. Denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, following God, is not easy. Right, so here's just a list of a few difficult things that God has called every Christian to do. Every person who says, I trust in Jesus, is called and commanded by God to do this. Well, first of all, the, the constant battle against your flesh is difficult. Denying yourself, taking up a cross and following him, that's, that's difficult. But having the, the discipline and having the self-control uh, to make spending time in God's word, uh, to to make the time, to prioritize that. that that's, that's difficult. I mean, you think about it. It's, it's not always the easiest thing because life, because stuff happens, right? But that's what we're commanded to do. I mean, sometimes even just praying is difficult. I mean, sometimes it's not even like you don't have a lot of time. Like sometimes you have all the time in the world and you go to pray and, and it's just difficult in that moment. We're called to evangelize. And for some people, it's not as difficult, but for a lot of people, it is. Trusting God through trials. Every Christian is commanded to trust God through trials. It's not easy. And not just trusting God through trials, but rejoicing through trials. To rejoice, to actively be rejoicing through the hard times that God is walking you through, that's hard. Loving your enemies, we know that's hard. Denying yourself, right? being a servant, when all you want is to look, for, look out for the needs of yourself. So you may hear a list like that and think to yourself, how am I supposed to live that way? How am I, how, am I really supposed to do that? How can I do that? Well, here's how you can do it. Because God is your strength. Because God sustains you. He is your strength. He is your support. He is your sustainer. So when something happens in life, when, when you're in a situation in life, and you think to yourself, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. You just need to be reminded that you can do it because God is your strength. That God sustains you. That He is your support. It's not about you and your willpower and your strength. It's about saying, God, your strength, your sustaining hand will get me through this. And that will bring me great comfort. And look, these are things that all Christians are called to do. But let's get even more personal for a second. We're all individuals. And God is going to call individual people to do difficult things at certain times. God may be walking you through an incredibly difficult situation right now. 
I mean, here's some examples I, I thought of, right? Maybe your job is on the line because you don't want to do something that your boss has asked you to do because it's sinful, but you know that it's either I do this or I lose my job, and I don't want to lose my job because I don't want to do that. I need my job. I need money. That's difficult. Or maybe it's something like you get, you get sick, like really sick, and your, the doctors say, you got a few months left. You or, or a loved one. It's a difficult situation that's hard to face, hard to walk through. I mean, and, and let's think about this, okay? I have to be careful what I say because this is being live streamed. But you guys, you remember, one of our bridge students, God just called to go overseas to be a missionary for a year. That's, that is a, that's difficult. You understand? That's not going to be easy to do. So whatever, think about yourself, the things that God is going to in His perfect will and His perfect purpose for your life that He's going to lead you to do and call you to do, you may face something and think, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, you can do it because God is your strength. Because God is your sustainer. And you can find comfort in that. And you can know that what God is calling you to do and commanding you to do, no matter how difficult it is, if he's calling you to do it, and it's a part of his will, his plan for you, he's going to sustain you to get through it. You understand? I think you get the point. You need to find comfort in God's sustaining hand. God sustained Samson. He sustained Israel through all of this, and he's promised to sustain you throughout your days. You just need to trust him. In the end of chapter 15, it says, And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now this is weird. This is odd, because at this point, if, if you've been paying attention to the flow of the book, then you would expect to flip to chapter 16 and see a new judge, or a new person. But you don't. It's still Samson. So this is breaking the, the flow, breaking the pattern of what's kind of uh, been happening through this whole time. And so what the author has done is, is the author has put this here to let the reader know something has changed here. You can expect this chapter to look different. It's going to feel different. The tone is different. The things that happen is different. Samson is doing things differently here. Chapters 14 and 15 close with Samson depending on God, right? calling out to his name in, in chapter 16, it doesn't make any mention of the Spirit of the Lord. It doesn't say anything about the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon him. It doesn't say that at all. And really, the, the story ends in, in tragedy. There, there's good in the tragedy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's tragic. So Samson goes to this place called Gaza, and he sees a prostitute. The very first thing, I mean, just flip there. Chapter 16, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Wow, already, we're, this, is, this is different than what we've been seeing Samson do. Already, that's bad. That's not, it's not a good thing. And so the people in Gaza, they figure out that Samson is there, and they set an ambush for him, and they say, when he comes out in the morning, we're going to ambush him, and we're going to kill him. And so Samson, what he does is he somehow figures out this is happening, and he decides he's going to hang out with the prostitute until midnight. And at midnight, he's going to leave. So midnight hits, and he gets up to leave. And 
the Bible says that he goes to the doors of the gate and he rips them out. I want you to think about this. There's like this, this big gate, this big wall of a city, and these giant wooden doors, and it has that big wooden like latch that falls, and it locks. You know, you've seen that in the old movies, you know what I'm talking about? And the doors open during the day, and people go, come and go. The gates are shut. They're all locked in. The guards are set up. It's, it, this, this is the situation. And Samson, somehow, he, he sneaks past this whole ambush. He gets to the gate. He doesn't just leave. He rips it out. He grabs the, the bars, and he pulls it up out of the ground, puts it on his shoulders, and he walks this door, the doors, 38 miles away to Hebron. So this is not just like a casual, he, he took it, I mean, first of all, nothing about this is casual. He ripped the gates out of the city, okay? He puts it on his shoulders, and he walks 38 miles and it says he goes to the hill in front of Hebron. And this is like a central location of Judah. And essentially what he's doing is he's saying like, yeah, we did this. Like this, this is victory to show all of Judah. And this journey, by the way, it would have taken several days to, to walk this long with this, this giant. It's just crazy. This wasn't like a super fast thing. Okay, So we have that. And then we meet Delilah. Samson falls in love with another woman, Delilah. And the beginning of the end is here. The Philistines, they bribe Delilah. They say, can you seduce him? We'll pay you a bunch of... And they pay her a lot of money, like a whole lot of money, to figure out how to subdue Samson. And so she's hanging out with Samson, and she, she asks him this. Where does your great strength lie? If, if someone wanted to subdue you, Samson, how would that happen? I mean, like, throw a flag, like red flag, Shut up, Samson. Don't tell her anything. This is not a good situation. And he, he plays with her a little bit. He says, you know, first the thing he says, oh, you, you've got to get seven bowstrings. And uh, seven bowstrings that have not been tied, like bow and arrow bowstrings. These were made of animal intestines. <clears throat> and so it says that they had not been dried. This is like fresh animal intestine. Okay, so like, breaking his vow again here. That's part of a carcass, a dead animal. He shouldn't be doing that. And uh, she tells the Philistines about it and ties him up. Philistines are coming. Oh, and he rips it open. And she's like, oh, you lied. And then we have another incident. Samson, how do I subdue you? How do I do it? And he's like, oh, okay, this is getting fun. Like, I'm just going to lie to her again. And he tells her, new ropes. It has to be new ropes, never been used before. And that's how you subdue me. So he falls asleep, ties him up. Philistines are coming upon you. He wakes up, rips it. Philistines aren't there. She's like, again? You lied to me again. And so she asks him again, how do I subdue you? And he gets a little bit closer to the truth with this one. He says, you take the seven locks of my head and uh, you uh, weave them together and fasten it with a pin. And that's how it happens. And so he falls asleep and she does it. The, Samson, the Philistines are coming upon you. And he tears the pin out, and his the strength is still there. This already happened once. We already saw in the beginning of Samson's story that his weakness is women. And she pulls the classic line again. How can you say that you love me? <laughs> you won't tell me how to kill you, essentially. You won't tell me you don't love me. And so we, we don't, maybe Samson convinced himself he could trust her. 
Or maybe he thought, it, it doesn't even matter if I tell her the truth. I've got this under control. Everything's going to get figured. I, I'll be fine. Something like that happened. And the Bible says he told her all his heart. He told her everything, how to do it. And of course, he falls asleep. In this part's just crazy. Like He fell asleep on her knees. So she was like, you, when you fall asleep tonight, you have to fall asleep right here. Like, I just told you you have to shave my head. And you want me to fall asleep on your knees? He doesn't care. He falls asleep. She shaves his head. Philistines are upon you. And here's what happens. Samson says, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. Even though he's told the secret, even though he's finally told her how to, how to subdue, he still thinks that he's going to be able to do this. He doesn't think at all about the consequences here. He doesn't think that this was like one, the, the last thing about his Nazarite vow that he had kept, that his hair was not cut, and now it's cut. And he's, he's thinking, I'm fine still. He's not fine. The Bible says, he did not know the Lord had left him. The Spirit of the Lord at this point left. Wasn't helping him anymore. Wasn't strengthening him in the same way. And so the Philistines, they caught him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him back to Gaza. So the same place where the massive victory happened with the gates, and he ripped them out, and that whole thing, they took him back there, and ironically, that's the same place where the story ends. And you know how the story ends, I'm sure. The Philistines, they decide to put Samson right in the middle of their temple, no eyes. They put him in the middle of the temple. They're rejoicing. They're all drinking, getting drunk, having a good time, worshiping Dagon, the false god. And they say, bring Samson out to be our entertainment. And they, they put him there in the middle. And they're laughing. They're making fun of him. And they say, our God, talking about Dagon, our God has given our enemy into our hand. And so Samson, at this point, he asks the Philistines, he says, where are the pillars that support your temple? Guys, the Philistines are so dumb. These they are so stupid. I mean, like, okay, look. They're like, oh, we took his eyes out, so he's not strong anymore. Like, no, it was the hair. It, it was the hair, right? And so they're like, okay, we took his eyes out, so it won't matter if his hair grows back. They're not paying attention to the hair. It says they didn't know that his hair started to grow back. They, they just forgot about it. That's, that's really stupid. And then they decide, let's put the strongest man on the face of the earth in the middle of our giant temple to our false god. There's no way this is going to end badly. Let's put him there. And let's laugh at him. And then they're like, let's hang out in close proximity to him. The strongest man we've ever seen. Let's all get close to him in this temple Oh, he just asked to feel the support of this entire temple? He wants to put his hands on it? Sure, this will end great. Let's, let's show him the beams that support the temple. These people are so dumb. And it's at this point, he's feeling the, the pillars that are literally supporting the entire temple. And he offers one last prayer to God. He says, oh Lord God, please remember me. Now, he knows that God hasn't forgotten him in a sense of, oh, I forgot who Samson was. But at this point, right, he's recognizing something's different. He doesn't have his strength. He's probably had a come-to-Jesus moment here, right? We'll just say that phrase, <laughs> okay? 
He says, please strengthen me only this once. Right? One more time. Strengthen me this one last. This is the last thing. Just like he said earlier. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he pushes the pillars over, collapsing the temple, killing 3,000 Philistines and himself. And so, look, Samson's life is, is, is pretty tragic. Set apart as a baby to be consecrated to God, right, to, to live a life giving God as much glory as he possibly could, only to ignore the vow, to seemingly live a life completely for himself, chasing his own passions, following his own lusts. I mean, for the majority of Samson's life, he was not after the glory of God. He was living for himself. Samson's God was his belly. And so Samson's story, it should remind all of us what our highest concern in life should be. Our highest concern, number one concern, it should not be ourselves. It should not be our own glory, but the glory of another. So here's point number three. Make glorifying God your highest goal. You need to make glorifying God your highest goal. Your highest goal, your highest goal, it needs to be aligned with God's highest goal. God's highest goal, it is His own glory. And that is a very, very good thing. And so, my highest goal and yours, it should be aligned with God's, which is to give God the most glory that I possibly can. And you just need to know that when you live life for yourself and for your own glory, your life is going to be full of sin. You're going to be chasing after the passions of the flesh. You're going to be chasing after things that please you and not God. And so we should look at this last chapter on Samson's life and we should learn we got to make sure that we're giving God the glory, that we're not living for ourselves. Do not make that mistake to live life for yourself. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you put your trust in Christ, then that should be your mindset. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm, if I'm eating or drinking, everything in my life should be done to the glory of God. So what I want you to do tonight and throughout this week is I want you just to take some time and I want you to think about the things that you do. What do you do? How are you spending your life? How are you spending your time? And then ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why do I do what I do? Why are you working towards certain goals? Why do you have certain goals in place why do you want to spend your life doing certain things? Why do you want to marry this certain person? What are you concerned about? Are you concerned about yourself and what you want, or are you concerned about the glory of God? And see, look, something happens in chapter 16 that really should anger every Christian reader. The, the part where the Philistines are, are prancing around in, in their temple to, to the false god, and they're saying, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. They're praising their God. Our God has given our enemy into our hand. When we read that, we should just think, oh, that's ridiculous. That's, that angers me a little bit. These people 
are dancing around and they're praising this God that's not real, that's not worthy of any worship. They're spitting in the face of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. The Philistines, they were worshiping their God as if Dagon had the victory. And God, he, he wouldn't have this sit very long. And he, and he didn't let it sit very long. He would not have a false God being glorified over himself. And so God proved his strength and his power to the Philistines in an undeniable way. He used this one defeated man to bring down this entire pagan temple. 3,000 Philistines gone. And he's still continuing to do what he promised to do, which was begin to free Israel from the Philistines. Now, we need to say this. Samson, he does end his life on, on a more positive note. And we know this because if we go to Hebrews chapter 11 and we read the famous, what's called the Hall of Faith, Samson's name is there, along with some other judges. He's praised because of his faith. His last actions here, they did show faith. They did show trust in God. And that's a good thing. So his last act was one of giving God glory. I know that was a lot, I know that was long, it was three chapters, but listen, God is faithful. He will always be faithful. His perfect purposes, they will come to pass. And he will even use his imperfect people to bring his perfect purposes to come to pass. Let's pray. God, thank you for being faithful Thank you for being good. God, no matter what we do, God, you are good and faithful. And help us to understand and realize that. God, please help us to be people that bring you glory with our lives, that are concerned about your glory, God. And, and help us to trust you and trust your sustaining hand through everything, God. Help us to learn from what we've read tonight. Be with us as we go to small groups. Help us to apply this to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.